Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Bi-Weekly Asset Allocation Report for March 27, 2023. Turmoil in the financial sector has complicated life for the Federal Reserve. Already facing the challenge of fine-tuning its rate policy between fighting inflation and over-tightening, the Fed may now be compelled to focus to a greater extent on protecting the banking system and the economy. It does seem like a tall order. Confluence Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady joins us today to discuss possible resolutions and the potential impact on investors. Bill, we're recording our conversation on March 21st, shortly before the Fed's latest meeting. So by the time listeners hear this discussion, the Fed's latest decision on rates will be history. But no matter what the Fed decides, it's still a good time to reflect on the Fed's conflicting goals and how any eventual resolution may play out in the financial markets. You make the point in your latest written report that the Fed was initially created to regulate banks and address commercial bank runs, thus ensuring financial stability. Over time, the Fed absorbed additional roles, full employment and stable prices. Can you talk a little bit about how these roles conflict? Sure, Phil. Modern central banks all have the mandate of stable prices. Some, like the Fed and the Bank of Japan, include a full employment mandate. On the other hand, the ECB only has a price stability mandate, although that bank is also charged with currency management as well. But all central banks have an unspoken mandate of financial stability. Commercial banks are prone to runs. Essentially, banks are in the business of liquidity transformation. They take cash that can be liquidated immediately and buy or create long-term assets, make loans or buy securities. These instruments should provide a return in excess of cash because these assets are less liquid than cash. As long as depositors who have in reality lent money to the bank, they don't all redeem their deposit at once, banking works great. But on occasion, something sparks a bank run a condition when depositors demand their money back in moss. No bank can withstand a run. The assets simply can't be liquidated fast enough. In the movie It's a Wonderful Life, there, there's a run at the savings and loan. George Bailey, the president of the SNL, explains to depositors that your, your money isn't here, it's in Joe's house. And that's generally true. So central banks were created to allow commercial banks to swap their assets, the loans and securities, for cash. Commercial banks face another risk. If the value of their assets fall, a bank can become insolvent. Bad loans are one way this can occur. Now, if a bank buys securities, rising interest rates can reduce the value of those securities and can lead the bank to having more liabilities, which are deposits, than assets. Now, this is the basic background. So when do central banks face the problem of divergent objectives? Well, the most obvious one is when banks face inflation and unemployment that exceeds their targets. This is the classic stagflation problem. The other, though, less recognized is when a bank faces inflation and financial stress. And that's the situation we find ourselves in now. So, Bill, basically, the Fed appears not to have enough tools to address all of its mandates. So it must choose, correct? Well, it either must choose or it must create more tools. This condition brings up a concept we've discussed before on these podcasts, the Tinbergen problem. The central bank needs an equal number of tools for an equal number of policy problems. Now, how has the Fed addressed this dilemma in the past? 
Well, for the most part, the priority has been financial stability first, inflation control second, and full employment third. With the exception of the 1970s, financial stability was primary, with price stability as the second goal. In the 1970s, the Fed tried to meet both the full employment goal and the price stability goal, and it vacillated between the two with little success. That lack of success led to putting full employment third. Now, to be sure, the Fed has never openly ranked its priorities, and so this is my take on the topic. But we note, after the 1970s, the Fed argued that if prices were stable, full employment would be met in the long run and thus focused on price stability. Since financial stability until the great financial crisis was an episodic problem, the Fed would tend to react strongly to financial stress events. Even Volcker, who most exemplified the fight against inflation, eased policies during the Mexican debt default. Greenspan was notorious for moving quickly to support the financial system when stress rose. That's where the notion of the Greenspan put emerged. Early in his term as Fed chair, he promised to provide liquidity during the 1987 stock market crash. He also cut rates aggressively during the SNL crisis and in the long-term capital management failure. But after the great financial crisis, it's arguable that the Fed became persistently accommodative. Since prices remained under control and labor markets were soft, one could say the policy wasn't focused on financial stability. However, we note that during the repo crisis of 2019, the Fed rapidly ended quantitative tightening. I have always suspected the Fed was worried about financial stability and thus tolerated a long stretch where ex-post real Fed funds rates were persistently negative. Certainly the markets, the financial markets, are aware of how the Fed has behaved, its history of, of acting to achieve its mandates. How have financial markets responded as a result? Well, I've described this situation as a forest fire control policy that aggressively puts out every fire, even the small ones. Eventually enough underbrush develops that a small fire becomes uncontrollable. Financial market participants have become trained to expect the Fed to aggressively cut rates and expand the balance sheet when faced with rising stress. This expectation has encouraged risk-tolerant behavior on the expectation that if a problem develops, policymakers will rescue the market. Thus, we have fostered a buy-the-dip mentality. Well, here's the key question. Why might this time be different? Well, for the first time since the 1970s, the Fed is facing the Tinbergen problem. It has elevated inflation and rising financial stress. We haven't seen this combination in a long time. If the Fed has but one real tool, interest rates, it will need to decide what it will prioritize. Address inflation and you run the risk of triggering a more severe financial system problem. Address financial risk and inflation could become embedded. However, we want to stress that perceptions matter. The FOMC seems to think it has an additional tool, which is to provide liquidity to the banking system. In the wake of the banking crisis on the West Coast, it introduced a new lending program that will allow banks to pledge securities at face value, not their current market value. It has allowed massive borrowing from the traditional window of last resort, the discount window. It is very possible the Fed believes it can address the financial system stress with these liquidity programs and attack inflation by raising rates. To quote one of the world's greatest movies, Dodgeball, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it works for them. I want to return to this, this challenge in a moment, but, but first, what economic data do you rely on to help you predict what the Fed might do? 
Well, over the years, I've developed a number of indicators, but I, I've kind of come around to the, the most basic, which is to subtract the yearly change in CPI from the unemployment rate. Generally speaking, the Fed likes that equation to be negative. Currently, it's positive, which would suggest the policy rate is still too low. But I also monitor the Eurodollar's futures market's implied interest rate two-year deferred. It tells you what the market expects three-month LIBOR will be out 24 months. When Fed funds rises above the implied interest rate, it signals that the Fed needs to start cutting rates. That the Fed's got a problem. It either needs more policy tools or it needs to choose what it'll prioritize. And what's the data currently telling you? That the Fed's got a problem. It either needs more policy tools or it needs to choose what it'll prioritize. Uh, let's, let's return now to the Fed's recent efforts that you just alluded to that it believes are maybe sufficient to address financial system stress. Do you think the Fed's efforts to support the banking sector might be enough to inspire confidence and promote financial stability, even if rate hikes continue? Well, the Fed, along with the FDIC and the Treasury, have been adding liquidity to the banking system at a rapid rate. For example, the FDIC borrowing doubled last week. The government expanded deposit guarantees. And as we have noted earlier, we suspect the Fed and the Treasury think that this FDIC backstop will be enough to quell deposit runs. However, one development that has been part of recent events is that households have become aware the bank deposit rates are well below the rates offered by money market funds or T-bills. Recent turmoil suggests that banks probably can't match these yields because the assets they hold were acquired at lower rates. But if they don't match these higher yields, deposits will continue to leave the banking system. We took a look at six-month CD rates going back to 1984 and compared them with six-month T-bill rates. The current spread is by far the highest on record at over four and a quarter percent. There is a great incentive to shift deposits out of the banking system. In effect, the banking system problem may be with us until households and firms conclude that the rate difference isn't enough to switch away from their bank. After all, there is some element of transaction costs tied to switching, although clearly technology has lowered these costs. Policymakers may face the difficult choice of either seeing the banking system come under additional stress through fighting inflation or to allow inflation to become embedded by lowering rates to staunch disintermediation. Or, put it another way, the Fed may think it has two tools, but in fact may not. Final questions, Bill, for our discussion today. First, what dangers lurk for investors if, first of all, the Fed tightens too much? Well, in a banking crisis, there really aren't a lot of good alternatives. Short-duration fixed income is probably the place to be. Now, I don't want to be alarmist here, but this scenario has parallels to the 1930s. And what are the dangers for investors if the Fed pauses or pivots too soon? Well, that's the inflation scenario, and we've been preparing for that outcome for some time. Commodities, value stocks, international stocks, and bond laddering are all the best allocations. What's your advice for investors? Well, eventually we expect the Fed to protect the financial system, but the problem is that it won't necessarily give up the inflation fight easily. Inflation could decline on its own, 
and allow the Fed to ease and address financial system stress. But if that doesn't occur, there's a chance policymakers will trigger a recession and then reduce rates. Overall, we think the pressure to allow inflation to rise will become difficult to resist. And so the longer run outlook is for investors to position for inflation. But the path there won't necessarily be smooth. And this is the situation we will be looking to address in the coming quarters. Thank you, Bill. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. Be aware that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice, and this information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.